So it's so good to be with you, and um, I'm going to offer a word of prayer, and we'll get into our message for this morning. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this Sabbath day. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you and to come together. And Lord, I pray that if we are wandering, that we would come home today. It's getting late in the day in Earth's history to be wandering far from you. But we're thankful for your amazing grace that you are always ready and waiting to receive us. So Lord, as I speak now, I pray that you would give me the right words to speak and that what I say would be just what each one of us needs to hear and that the Holy Spirit would guide what is said. So thank you for this opportunity that I have today to be with my friends here at Advent Hope, and I just pray that you would speak through me now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, which I alluded to briefly last night, it says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. The title for the message today is On the Borders of the Heavenly Canaan. We are on the very borders of heaven. Can you feel it? You know, it's a different world. The last time I spoke here at Advent Hope was in 2018 in person. I did speak on Zoom about a year ago or so. But this is a different world that we are living in today, as we all realize. And the... The way we think, the way we do everything has changed significantly over the last year and a half. And there's, I realize there's sometimes different opinions even about the pandemic itself, but whether or whatever you think about the pandemic, everybody would have to admit that the world is a different place. And as Seventh-day Adventists, this really shouldn't necessarily surprise us, right? You know, Seventh-day Adventists, we have been preaching for over 170 years that Jesus is coming again and that he is coming again soon. So it shouldn't come as a significant surprise that things in the world around us would begin to fall apart, that the fabric of our society would start to unravel, that the world that we live in that we had become comfortable with is no longer a place that we really should feel a place worth trying to settle into for the long haul. This is a sign of the coming of Jesus, and any time we see signs of the coming of Jesus, it should not surprise us. You know, I was a little bit thankful to fly out to California yesterday for more than one reason, one of which is that it was another tornado day in the region that I live in. And once you get to about November, December, every week or two or three, you have a tornado day. Well, yesterday was especially bad. And some of you may have seen on the news that a long track tornado went through 
Kentucky, Western Kentucky, probably about 100 miles from where I live. And estimates suggest that in one town alone, um, perhaps 100 people are dead. That's, that's pretty bad for a tornado. And um, it's in the same conference that I'm a member in. It's the town of Mayfield, Kentucky. We see these things happening. We see the pandemic that we're living in. We see disasters that are taking place. And these are signs that we've always understood remind us that this world is not our permanent home, that heaven is the home that we are looking for. And yet, I have to say to myself and to each one of you here today, it's so easy to get comfortable on this earth. And yes, we see the signs around us, and yes, we understand that Jesus is coming again, and that his coming could be very soon. And yet, a lot of times we can say, well, we've seen other signs too. And so I want to challenge you today in, in what I'm talking about. I believe that we are on the, on the very borders of the heavenly king, and, and yet the reality is, is that Jesus could have come a long time ago. And I'm going to take you through a few thoughts today. This first statement comes from Evangelism, page 696. It was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be thus delayed. Now, this was written in 1883. 1883. It was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be thus delayed. So that was 39 years after 1844. Now, here we are in the year 2021, and we see these signs. We see the pandemic that we're living in right now. And there's other things that are happening in the world around us that we could discuss. And yet, way back in 1883, we are told it was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be thus delayed. So it really shouldn't be a surprise to us that we see signs of the coming of Jesus. Then she makes a comparison, and this is what I'm going to do over the next several minutes, um, and this comparison relates to the children of Israel as they went through the wilderness. God did not design that his people Israel should wander 40 years in the wilderness. He promised to lead them directly to the land of Canaan. And if I recall, I think if you walked the distance, it would have taken roughly two weeks, something like that. He promised to lead them directly to the land of Canaan and establish them there, a holy, healthy, happy people. But those to whom it was first preached went not in because of unbelief. Their hearts were filled with murmuring, rebellion, and hatred, and he could not fulfill his covenant with them. You know, it's kind of hard to understand how could you be murmuring and complaining and have a spirit of rebellion and hatred when you see the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, when you see the Red Sea parted, when you have manna provided for you on a daily basis, you've come out of slavery and you're still not happy. Man, I just get so frustrated with the children of Israel. It's like for 40 years did unbelief 
murmuring and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Canaan. I mean, they had the land of Canaan right in front of them. What was wrong with them? And notice the next sentence. This is Evangelism 696. The same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into the heavenly Canaan. You know, we look at ancient Israel and we're like, wow, you know, if I had seen the Red Sea parted, if I saw the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, if I had manna provided from heaven every day and water gushing out of a rock, I wouldn't have complained. I wouldn't have been rebellious towards the leadership of Moses. I wouldn't have been a troublemaker. I wouldn't have been worldly. I wouldn't have been this, that, and the other. And yet we are told way back in 1883 that the same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into the heavenly Canaan. And as someone like all of the rest of you who is living in the year 2021, somehow I don't think that we've gotten better since 1883. And what are these sins? Unbelief, murmuring, rebellion. And then she goes on to say worldliness, unconsecration, and strife among the Lord's professed people. You know, isn't it nice that Adventists don't fight with each other? <laughs> you know, one of the most frustrating things to me about this whole pandemic has been the way Adventists fight with each other on social media about COVID-19. And... We say that we're preparing for the coming of Jesus, and yet we have people fighting with each other, calling each other names, saying, you're going to get the mark of the beast if you do this, or you're going to be that if you do this. And then we say that we're on the very borders of heaven, and Jesus must be coming soon. And yet the same sins that delayed ancient Israel into the earthly Canaan are happening here among God's people today. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that some of the division that I see in the church today about COVID has probably been about as bad as any issue that has divided the church in my lifetime. And everybody who has a strong opinion about COVID is thinking about the people that they disagree with right now and how bad they are. But what about you? What about me? What about the strife among the Lord's professed people? What about the unconsecration and the worldliness? Are we really different than the world around us, or have we assimilated into modern culture so that while we may come to church on Sabbath and enjoy hearing good messages that remind us of the coming of Jesus, when the rest of the week rolls around, we're really no different in our purposes and goals? So I have a, uh, some questions to ask myself and to ask you today. How much do I, how much do you, how much do we really want heaven right now? 
Of course, we all want to go to heaven. I mean, you know, I've maybe met a stray person in the Adventist church that uh, one time when I was a kid, I met a fellow kid. We were probably in second or third grade who they really didn't like their parents and this and that and the other. And they're like, I don't want to go to heaven. And that was a little bit weird. That's probably about the only time I've ever heard somebody say, I don't want to go to heaven, where they meant it. I think every Seventh-day Adventist that I've ever met wants to go to heaven. But how much do you want heaven right now? I mean, it would be nice someday, sure. I mean, after retirement. But what about right now? How much do you really want heaven right now? And the deeper question behind that is, how much does Jesus really mean to me, you, us, today, right now? Would you be willing to go through every possible trial and crisis and whatever it may be so that you can be with Jesus in person sooner rather than later? How much does Jesus really mean to us? Are we so scared of the time of trouble that we secretly hope and maybe sometimes not so secretly, that we secretly hope that the final events come to our children or our grandchildren after, after we've passed off the scene. It's like, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but um, I'm okay if I'm laid to rest, and then I'll raise my children and my grandchildren to have the character that is needed to go through the final crisis. So I can kind of have my cake and eat it too. I'll be raised in the special resurrection because I died in the faith of the third angel's message. And I'm not here to minimize that. For those who have that special experience, praise the Lord. The Lord says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord in Revelation 14, 13. But if we're secretly hoping that we just get the special resurrection, but that we don't have the experience of being translated without seeing death, are we really ready for heaven right now? Because God is looking for a people who are, so to speak, willing to go through the wall to be ready to meet Jesus. You know, we go to the story of the children of Israel and as we do that, I just want to say, you know, we really need to take the mask off. And I'm not talking about the mask that we're wearing over our face because of COVID, and I believe in those. That's fine. But we need to take the masks off of our heart and examine our hearts to say, are we really living our lives as if we are, as if we are really marching to Zion? And so I want to turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And this is the story. You pick it up in the first few verses of Numbers 13, where the Lord tells Moses, take one man out of every tribe and send them into the promised land. And they're going to spy out the land and they'll come back and they're going to tell you what this land is like. And in verse 23, it tells you that they brought back a cluster of grapes that was so large that two men had to carry it on a staff. And in verse 25, it says they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. 
So it took them 40 days to spy out the land. Now, you know, when I was a kid, I kind of would think of the land of Israel as basically Jerusalem and Bethlehem, but there was a lot more to it than that. You know that, obviously. You go all the way up to the north, and there's Mount Hermon, and there's the mountains off to the east, and then you have the border up against Syria, and you have the Jordan River Plain, and then you go all the way down to the south, down to Beersheba. So it was a large area, and it took these men 40 days to spy out the land. And at verse 27, it says, they told, they're speaking to Moses and Aaron, they told him and said, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us. And surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. So it sounds really good so far. I mean, the fruit is so good that we have a cluster of grapes that we're carrying on a staff between two men. And look at the pomegranates and the figs. Everything looks really good so far. Then verse 28 starts with this contrasting conjunction. Nevertheless. Whenever the word nevertheless is used, what that means, and you know this, you're smart people, that everything that is said afterwards takes greater precedent and means more than what has been said already. Sure, it's a land that flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit, nevertheless, or but. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell on the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell on the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell on the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. In other words, the whole land is occupied with people and with giants. This is too hard. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. So here's a man of faith. So you have 10 men giving an evil report. Caleb and Joshua are giving a report of faith. Verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the land, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Now Ellen White says in her writings that this is a lying report, because now they're contradicting themselves. First, it's a land that is flowing with milk and honey, and it has giants in it. So it's like, wow, the fruit is so great that the people in the land eat this fruit, and they turn into giants. But then they turn around and say, oh, then they destroy and devour. The, the land eats up its inhabitants. Well, how can it be a land that eats up its inhabitants if it's a land that flows with milk and honey and produces giants? So now we have a contradictory lying report, but they were so full of unbelief that they were willing to lie and exaggerate to make things look as bad as possible. I'm glad we never do that, right? You know, it's human nature to exaggerate when things aren't going well, and if you don't want something to happen, you'll exaggerate something to make it look so bad, and what you're saying ends up being a tall hill, and that's what's happening here. And so they basically gave a lying, evil report saying, we cannot go up 
and overcome this land. And then we know the rest of the story. The people lift up their voice and wept. They say, we wished we had died in the wilderness. Maybe we should go back to the land of Egypt. And then when Joshua and Caleb try to quiet the people and tell them this is a good land, then the people want to stone Caleb and Joshua. Now, lest you think that if 10 had given a good report and 2 had given an evil report, things might have been different. Ellen White says that if that had been the circumstances, 10 are on the side of going in and possessing and two or not, the children of Israel as a congregation would have gone with the evil report anyway. Now, it's really easy for us to come down on the children of Israel, and we should because they demonstrated unbelief. But think about what they're hearing when the spies come back and say there are giants throughout the entire land. What they're hearing is we're going to have to dispossess all of those giants. And that's going to be a challenge. That's not going to be a simple, easy task where we just go into the land of promise, everybody clears out, and we get the territory easy as just walking in. They were looking for an easy path into the land of Canaan. And now the spies are saying, it's not going to be an easy path. There's giants everywhere. Now, think about their current situation. They had been spies in Egypt uh, as a people for 400 years. And now, God is providing for them in the wilderness, They actually have it pretty good compared to being slaves. It's not as good as the promised land, but it's better than what they had. Now think about yourself when I'm talking about this. Look, they had comfortable places to live. It was just as good, if not better, than what they had in Egypt. And they didn't have to wake up to Egyptian taskmasters and slave masters every morning. They had comfortable tents to live in. And God was providing water that flowed out of a rock every day. They had fresh, clean water straight from heaven. They had manna provided by heaven every day. All they had to do was go out of the tent and pick the manna up. And then on Friday, they just had to collect a double portion, and they had that portion provided for Sabbath. Furthermore, their clothes didn't wear out. That's a pretty good deal. Their shoes and their clothing were not wearing out. And wild animals and snakes did not bother them in their wilderness dwelling. This is a really nice deal. And now you're telling me that I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone where I have a comfortable tent, where I have food and water. So I have food, water, and shelter, and clothing that doesn't wear out. And I'm going to have to go into this promised land, and God is telling me that I'm going to have to be going in and fighting giants to dispossess the land. You know what? I think it might be easier to just stay where I'm at right now. Okay, yeah, there might be milk and honey in that land, but we have manna and water where we are. Now, sure, there might have been some trials, but hey, 
It's not that bad here in the wilderness. And the challenge of facing the obstacles, such as the giants, these challenges were too much for them. Now, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Before you get too hard on the children of Israel... And we're going to pick it up in verse 11. This is speaking of the children of Israel. You see that they drank out of the spiritual rock and they had manna, uh, but then they had various challenges and sins. And in verse 11, it says, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples or examples. And they are written for our admonition or our instruction upon whom the ends of the world are come. So what happened to the children of Israel, that's an example to us. And it is written for our instruction, especially for those of us who are alive at the end of the world. And that would be us, friends. We are that people. And it goes on to say in verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know, it's easy to sit here and say, Wow, I never would have complained like the children of Israel. I would have just put that parting of the Red Sea in my mind and I would have said, I know that the Lord is leading and I will never ever complain against him again. And I'll never be like those people who, as soon as they got through the Red Sea and they came to the bitter water at Mar, they started complaining. I wouldn't be like that. And I wouldn't complain about food because I knew that the Red Sea had parted. And once all of that was provided, I would have known that I could have gone into the promised land. And yet the Bible says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And verse 13 is so common. And this is the context of verse 13 being written. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now that temptation could be a temptation to fall into sin, or it could be a trial that you're passing through. And the context is this. God wasn't going to let the children of Israel pass into the earthly Canaan without testing their character. Likewise, he's not going to allow us to pass into heaven without trials that will test each one of us before we pass into the heavenly Canaan. And what scripture is saying is, just as the children of Israel were tested, we will be tested too. And be careful lest you think that you're just going to stand and you're not going to fall like the children of Israel did. No, take heed because it's so easy to fall like they did. If they could fall with all of the miracles that God did for them, what about us? Now, we are the children of Israel today. And it's almost, a ridiculous, it's almost ridiculous to think about it in this way. But just as the children of Israel enjoyed the comforts that God provided for them in the wilderness, we enjoy the comforts of modern America. Pandemic or no pandemic. And because of these comforts, it's easy for us to shy away 
from the troubles of the final crisis. Now look, coming back to California, I rem remember all the good times I had here. And I'll admit, I mean, I miss being driving distance from Yosemite and the Sierra Nevada range, Grand Canyon, Joshua Tree, the beach, and any other number of things that you could mention about California and the western side of the United States. I miss a lot of things about here. Now, there's some nice things in Tennessee, too. But it doesn't have quite as much to offer in that sense as what you have out here in California. And that's why so many of you still live out here. And it's very easy to become comfortable in a nice place to live. It is. And God is good to us. He gives us blessings just as he gave the children of Israel blessings. He gave them food, water, shelter, clothing. And he does the same for us today. But God doesn't want us to become so comfortable with the blessings that he has provided that we lose sight of the destination that we're supposed to be journeying to. And God hasn't promised that we won't be without trial on our way to that destination. In fact, if you're not having any trials, that should probably be a bit of a cause for concern because trials are the testing ground to prepare us for the heavenly Canaan. And just as the children of Israel engaged in worldliness, unbelief, unconsecration and strife, we have similar issues today. Now, you know, just as you had the, the spies who spied out the land and told the children of Israel what the land was like, you know, in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, especially John the Re Re Revelator tells us what heaven is like. And Ellen White in the book Early Writings and her very first vision gives us explicit details of what it's going to be like in the heavenly Canaan. And yet, we have become very Laodicean. We are rich and increased with goods. We think we are good enough to go through the final crisis, and yet we are scared of giants just like the children of Israel were. And while they were scared of literal giants, we're scared of spiritual giants. We're scared of facing trials. We're scared of the giants of sin in our lives. There's some who don't believe that we can overcome the giants of sin that we face. Some believe in a righteousness that covers us but doesn't transform us. In Acts of the Apostles, we read, Sanctification is not the work of a moment, an hour, a day, but of a lifetime. It is not gained by a happy flight of feeling, but is the result of constantly dying to sin and constantly living for Christ. So the reason why sanctification is the work of a lifetime is because there's never a moment that we can't be surrendered to the Lord. It's a work of a lifetime. Wrongs cannot be righted nor reformations wrought in the character by feeble, intermittent efforts. You know, sometimes I talk to people who are like, yeah, you know, I have this issue in my life and I've prayed and I've asked the Lord to help me and yet I just keep going back to it. And the problem is, is that we're often giving feeble, intermittent effort in trying to overcome the sins that so easily beset us. And God is saying, if you will agonize in prayer consistently, I will give you the power 
power and the grace and the strength. But some of these sins aren't going to be taken away in five minutes. It's going to take days of wrestling and agonizing with God, weeks and months. But the God of Jacob is the God of Israel today, and he is still a deliverer. It is only by long, persevering effort, sore discipline, and stern conflict that we shall overcome. We know not one day how strong will be our conflict the next. So long as Satan reigns, we shall have self to subdue, besetting sins to overcome. So long as life shall last, there will be no stopping place, no point which we can reach and say, I have fully attained. Sanctification is the result of lifelong obedience. Just because you've been living an obedient life through yesterday doesn't mean that if you let go of God's hand today that you're going to be safe. Sanctification is the work of a lifetime. The next prayer, or this is Christ's object lesson 65. At every stage of development, our life may be perfect. Yet if God's purpose for us is fulfilled, there will be continual advancement. Sanctification is the work of a lifetime. As our opportunities multiply, our experience will enlarge and our knowledge increase. We shall become strong to bear responsibility and our maturity will be in proportion to our privileges. It's not okay to just settle in and say, you know what, I think... I've come to Advent Hope long enough, so this is a good stopping point. I'm going to stay right here. There's all, every day should be a growth in God's grace. And if we are going to be the people that cross over that border into the heavenly Canaan, we're going to be a people that will have developed faith through the fiery trials of affliction. In Testimonies, Volume 1, page 187, it says, Those who come up to every point and stand every test and overcome, be the price what it may, whatever the trial may be, have heeded the counsel of the true witness, and they will receive the latter rain and thus be fitted for translation. You know, in order to be fitted for translation, we must be willing, by God's grace, to come up to every point and stand every test and overcome whatever the price may be. But some of us have this line in the sand where we say, this price is too much. And yet Jesus is saying, I paid it all. In Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2, pages 34 and 35, it says, we tried to call up our greatest trials. So th these are, this is Ellen White describing what it's like once we get to heaven. We tried to call up our greatest trials, but they looked so small compared with the far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that surrounded us that we could not speak them out, and we all cried out, Alleluia, heaven is cheap enough, and we touched our golden harps and made heaven's arches rings. This next statement, early writings, page 17, we all went under the tree and sat to look down at the glory of the place when brethren Fitch and Stockman, who had preached the gospel of the kingdom and whom God had laid in the grave to save them, came to, up to us and asked what we had passed through while they were sleeping. Now, these were brethren that were alive just before 1844. We tried to call up our greatest trials, but they looked so small 
with a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that surrounded us, that we could not speak them out. And we all cried out, Alleluia, heaven is cheap enough. And we touched our glorious harps and made heaven's arches ring. You know, Revelation 14, 12 famously says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That word patience in the Greek is the word hupomone, which means endurance or patience. It's the same word in Hebrews 12, which says, let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's the past tense for hupomone. Jesus endured the cross. We are to have the endurance or the patience of the saints. You know, this statement that I read about Brethren Fitch and Stockman, my dear mother-in-law, sent this statement to me when I was in the hospital just, you know, about 10 days ago. And, of course, um, she didn't know that I already had it in my sermon notes for what I was going to speak today. But... You know, I, I would be lying if I were to say that, that this recent experience of breaking my arm, injuring the radial nerve, and now I have this floppy wrist that doesn't work in my dominant hand, I'd be lying if I said that it was no big deal. Because it is a big deal. Um, to not be able to use your dominant hand is a trial. And, um, you know, without being too... Um, descriptive, I mean, I've cried myself to sleep a couple of times since this has happened. It's not an easy thing to face. I don't know for sure if my hand will come back. I'm a neurologist. You know, my, my oldest daughter, she's 10 years old. I, I appreciate the, the faith of, of a child. She's like, Dad, your, ha your hand's going to come back. Don't worry. We know Jesus is going to heal your hand. And I'm thinking as a neurologist, but you don't know how nerve injuries work, Sarah <laughs> I don't want to destroy your faith, but sometimes you wish you didn't know what you know. <laughs> and, you know, by, by God's grace, he's helping me to face this trial with faith. This isn't the only trial I've had in the last year. I was just talking to um, a colorectal surgeon, um, Hani, or excuse me, Grace's cousin, or just before the service today. You know, I had a lower GI surgery just six, eight months ago, and the pain that I had after that was even worse than the pain that I had from the broken bone, and that pain went on for a good week or so. There's been some other challenges that have gone on, too. And look, what I just described, some of the trials that I'm facing pale in comparison to some of the trials some of you are going through right now. I realize that. Um, I'm not here to, to say that I have it so bad that None of you know what it's like to be going through anything like this. Now, some of you are going through things that are far more difficult. But the Lord is allowing each one of us to go through the fires of affliction so that we can learn to trust in him, so that we can be that gold refined in the fires. As Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, um, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but allow that fiery trial to 
to produce the faith that is necessary in your life. Um, and actually, I misquoted. First Peter 1 verse 7 says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be found, or though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. It's First Peter 4.12 that says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. You know, we are the modern-day Israel. God has set before us the heavenly Canaan. And God loves us too much to allow us to become too comfortable here on this earth. Listen, friends, I want to challenge you today. I mean, I lived here in Loma Linda for 10 years, and I loved every minute of it, and I miss Advent Hope all the time. Trust me. But don't get too comfortable here. It's very easy to live the good life the comfortable North American life where you have everything at your fingertips and you can run to the mountains in an hour, to the beach in an hour, or some of the national parks in a few hours, and the best restaurants in the country are not that far away, and it's so nice and it's so great. You live where I live, you have to drive an hour to a good restaurant. I'm not complaining because my wife's food's better anyway, but that's fine. But you get the point. Have we become so comfortable here in modern America that as this pandemic has hit, we've been secretly hoping that the pandemic will go away so that we can return to, so that we can return to a Laodicean normality and all will be well and all will go back to normal and we can just live the comfortable, good North American lifestyle. And Jesus is looking for a people who will say, Lord, I love you so much. I pray by the grace of God that you will test me and that you will try me and that when I come through the, the refiner's fire, I will be tried as gold and that the impurities will be removed and that you will be able to save me. This is a person of faith that I can take through the final crisis of earth's history. Or are we just saying, Lord, no, not me. Just let my, my kids go through that and lay me to rest. Listen, friends, God didn't bring us onto this earth to lay us to rest. He brought us onto this earth to be a people of faith that would say, we're not going to be like that first generation of Israelites who had unbelief. We're going to be like the second generation who went through and they crossed the Jordan and they walked around the city of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down and God will do miracles for us just as he did for them. So I want to challenge you today. You might be going through a trial. You might be wondering where God is in your life right now. You might be wondering why you have to face what you're facing today, day after day. You may not understand what's going to happen in the future. 
But God is allowing that to happen to you because he sees something of value in you that he can purify so that he can take you through the final crisis of earth's history to prepare you for the coming of Jesus. That's why we exist. And here at Advent Hope, we believe in the second advent of Jesus. We believe in helping others prepare for eternity. And I want to challenge you today, don't lose sight of that vision. Don't become so comfortable in maintaining the work that you're doing that you lose sight of the bigger picture of preparing for the soon coming of Jesus. Amen. So I want to challenge you and encourage you, and by God's grace, may we all be faithful. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.